0: To continue in this series, and as we wrap this up, we're going to continue to look at this story from 1 Samuel 17, the story that's about David and Goliath, as we call it in the church. But today we're going to end this series by not talking about David, and we're not going to talk about Goliath either. We're going to talk about Saul, the king, because I believe that the change and transformation that happens in Saul can help us to boldly live into this adventure of our calling together as a community. So I want you to pay attention to Saul today as we look at this passage starting in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. Listen to God's word. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're just a boy. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I can't walk with these for I'm not used to them. So David removed them, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to your call upon our lives individually, but as a community today. Give us and help us to see your vision of how we're moving forward in Jesus' name, amen. So the reason I wanna conclude this series by talking about Saul is that Saul has this fascinating journey that he goes on. And it's a journey that every one of us can relate to if we pay attention. Because see, what happens at the beginning of the passage is that Saul is like many of us and like many leaders in our time. What happens is is that his army has gathered on the northern ridge of the valley of Elah and the Philistine army that's been coming from the Mediterranean and coming east to try to take over Jerusalem and the kind of more valuable centers of of Israel at the time has drawn up on the southern ridge. So you have these two armies on these ridges of this valley that are staring across at each other and they're kind of at a a, a stalemate. They're not certain what to do. And so, and this happened in ancient warfare, as we said. Uh, Goliath is picked by the Philistines to walk down from the southern ridge into the valley, into the valley of Elah, and he starts shouting taunts at the army of Israel that is on the northern ridge. He starts challenging them to what's known as single combat where these two armies would avoid a lot of bloodshed and just have these two champions fight it out in the middle. One of them would die, the other one would win, and their kingdom would win. So this one-on-one combat was the deciding um, factor for both armies. There's a lot riding on it. And Goliath comes down, he's a champion, he's a professional soldier. He's like Rambo at the time. He's like got you know just his helmet, and he's huge, and no one can beat him, and he's beaten all these people. And Saul sees him and is just locked in what the scriptures say is fear and dismay. This happens to all of us. This happens to leaders all the time, where we just sort of aren't certain what's to happen, and, and we just sort of lock up and seize up. Edwin Friedman, who has written in his book, A Failure of Nerve, about this concept of adventure or anxiety, versus anxiety, talks about this. And as we've said before, this isn't about feeling one or the other. We all feel both. We all feel, and they're good that we have both these parts, adventure, anxiety. But Friedman talks about when we don't make decisions because of an uncertain outcome, that that's giving in to a kind of anxiety, right? It's saying, well, I'm not guaranteed how this battle's going to end. I'm not guaranteed how it's all going to work out. And look what I'm risking, and so I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just, it paralyzes us into inaction, that's what's happening with Saul. He's gonna, he could lose his whole kingdom. He could lose everything over this. And so many people would suffer, and he's going, I don't know how this works out, and I don't know how anyone can beat Goliath. And so day after day, he just didn't do anything. And Friedman says that this is not something, this kind of paralysis is not something that just happens individually. It does, and in the last number of weeks, we've talked about how you individually can be making decisions in your life to uh, step out in faith in different ways, to take an adventure that God's calling us on even when we're not certain how it's gonna work. But Friedman says, and I want us to think about this today, Friedman says it just as often happens to organizations as well. It doesn't just happen to individuals. Those individuals are sometimes active in leaders of organizations, just like Saul, and organizations become frozen and paralyzed. Friedman says that governments do this all the time, and we've seen that, right? where governments, it's like, well, there's like a lot of good going on, and we don't want to make hard decisions, so we just sort of do everything so that we don't have to make kind of hard calls. There's, uh, he says this happens in companies and businesses all the time, where it's like, hey, we were aggressive, and things went well, but all of a sudden, we've got these employees, and we've got this you know, capital that we've, that we've stored up, and now we don't want to lose it. I and mean, We don't want to screw everything up, so we just sort of like back off and just sort of don't make decisions anymore out of, out of a sense of anxiety. You and I know that as football fans, right? Anytime you're watching a football game and your team goes into a prevent defense, it's one of the worst feelings around, right? Because you're like, oh, we're going to lose now because we're just trying to not let the bad thing happen. And, and, and it always does, right? I think, I think Georgia Tech, the team I, I grew up watching, I think they spend 98% of their time in a prevent defense. It's just like, it's like, do you know you're supposed to be tackling the guy in front of you? Like, Are you aware that that is what you're supposed to be doing, Right? It happens to all of us, and Friedman says it happens to churches all the time, it happens to nonprofits all the time, it happens to denominations all the time, where we're in this time, and we are today. And I know this is, and I don't mean this is like a scare thing. It's not meant to be scary, but we're in an unprecedented time in this country. We're in an unprecedented time in this country where just, I heard this week a pastor here in Austin told me 86% of Austin is now not involved in any kind of active way in a faith community. About 90% of churches in this country are either flatlined or in a state of decline and are wondering how they're going to exist. And so what we do in that is that we just sort of lock up and go, well, let's just sort of do what we do and hopefully the bad times will go away. Friedman says that the way that organizations have anxiety is they just don't make changes. They just kind of refuse to change anything. They refuse to do anything different. And that that need for control is, is a form of anxiety. He writes that it is especially, and this really applies to covenant, I believe, today. He says it is especially true of organizations that are, who have had some success recently. We are not in that 90%. We just today, like an hour ago, welcomed 30 new members into our church. It's a wonderful thing. It's an incredible thing. People of all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different perspectives joining here. There are, I would guess this is true, probably a majority of churches in this country won't welcome 30 new people all year. And this is not our largest membership class of 2015. We are not in a position where we're like that, in those 90%. And Friedman says it's really easy when you're in that position to even get more conservative and scared because you're going, man, something good's happening here so just don't mess anything up. Right, It's like, I don't know what we're doing, but obviously something's working here. So just nobody do anything different to rock the boat. And let's just sort of keep enjoying this. That's what Saul has. He's had this kingdom that has grown and is prosperous. And all of a sudden, there's this battle that has to take place. He's like, we, we could lose it all. We could lose it all. And Goliath is a pretty bad dude down there. And so we're just going to not do anything. But Saul has something powerful happen to him. Something that happens when David starts talking Something about David remembering that God's going to fight for him. Something that happens that he believes in, in, in God's faithfulness. And Saul is reminded of something that you and I need to be reminded of today. Saul is reminded that as a leader, his job is not to protect the kingdom of Israel. His job is not to protect the kingdom of Israel. His job is to be faithful. You see the difference in that? His job, you know, I don't want to let the bad thing happen. That is not faithful. The faithful thing is, what does God want to do here? And this change happens where he actually releases David to go and fight, even though David's an underdog. So what I'm going to do today is to talk a little bit about this transformation and what the leadership of this church is. As we ask, are asking you to support the, the mission and ministry of this church in 2016, where we discern, where we kind of have a sense of where God's kind of taking us. Because it'd be easy for us just to go, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. We're not certain what it is, but it seems to be working, so let's just keep doing it. That's not how we're going forward. To guide us in this, I'm going to use a phrase that I heard a a, a pastor named Scott Dudley use in uh, First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue, Washington. Scott Dudley said that the call of every church, and this guides so much of my ministry, so if you want to get a little insight into the weirdness of my brain, this phrase guides, I just find it very powerful. He says that the call of the church is to be internally strong in order to be externally focused. i say that again because it's really important. The call of the church is to be internally strong in order to be externally focused. We are called to be focused on the world outside of ourselves. We do not exist for our own success. God did not create the church to create successful, growing institutions. That is not God's dream for the church. So when we're growing, that can be a great thing, but that's not the win. That's not the goal. That's not the the objective that we're after. Rather, we are called and are excited by more and more people coming, hopefully to be shaped to go and be a love letter from God to Austin, so that the city's different, so that our world's different. That's the point. Our job is not to be this place where we're the big idea. We're not the big idea. We're the catalyst for the big idea. We're the catalyst for the things of the kingdom. And so if we have 30 new people join today, it's just a chance for 30 more people to be shaped and molded and hopefully sent out by God, and Austin will be even more different because we're here. That's the exciting part. We're called to be internally strong in order to be externally focused. The action is on what's happening outside our walls, not what's happening here for four services Three hours on a Sunday. Okay? So what does that mean? Well, to be internally strong. And I'd like you to think about what this means for you and for us. We have to be internally strong first. There's this concept in all churches, all people, we, you know, we want to help people, right? We want to be, I mean, everyone would go, yeah, we want to be externally focused. But why are many people not able to do it? Well, because if you really want to serve other people, you've got to be healthy yourself. There's got to be a re- there's a reason on airplanes that they say, hey, if this plane starts to crash, I don't know if it's going to make any difference, but this little mask is going to come down, right? <laughs> when you're hurtling to the ground at, a, I don't know, a lot of heavy speed, I'm not certain the mask is going to do much, but it could. And so the mask comes down, and what they say is you've got to secure the mask over your own mouth before you help anyone else. Because in a true emergency, as much as your good intentions are, if you aren't taking care of yourself, you're actually not going to help many other people. You've got to secure your own mask before you start helping. You've got to be internally strong. If you want to be somebody who's making a difference in the lives of other people, you've got to be finding and seeking healing and wholeness in your own life first. You're not going to be long-term any good to anybody if you're just operating out of your own woundedness. Sometimes it can feel selfish. For example, sometimes in a marriage it can feel selfish when you're going, you know, we've got the kids and life's really busy, but we've got to leave them with a babysitter at times, and we've got to go away ourselves because if we're not healthy together, it doesn't matter how good our intentions are of serving other people or serving our kids or serving the world around us, we're not going to be able to really do it. We're not going to be able to disciple our own children if we're not healthy ourselves. We've got to be internally strong. We've spent a lot of time talking about this. One of the things I'm excited about is that John Wasson is here. Because he is going to help us to continue discerning what this looks like for us. What this looks like that we want to have, we have a great tradition here of Sunday school classes, of small groups that have met for a long time. We've had great traditions of how we care for each other. Many of you have served as deacons. It's one of the great internal strengths of this church is how the people of this church rally around and care for and love one another through times of difficulty and crisis. There's a lot we do internally really well, but there's also more that we can do. There's more that we can grow from children through youth, through adults, through older adults. we got to have a common vision of discipleship. And you know, want, to, want to know what excited us about John when we talked to him besides his dashing good looks? Is that when we got to know John, one of the things that people answered when we interviewed people all around this country is we said, tell us about your philosophy of discipleship. And they answered it like traditional church people have through the years, which is they started with knowledge. What's between your ears? started with what curriculum they like and what curriculum they don't like in the books and I, I like curriculum part of discipleship is knowledge but Jesus did not form disciples by downloading information on them I don't know about you but I know a lot of Christians who can quote scripture and you're going do you know how to live it I mean I know you can quote it but where's the fruit right it, it, discipleship is not about how much information is in your head and when we talk to John he started where we are by saying, you know, before we get into anything else about discipleship, it's a question of who you're walking with in community. That's the first question. We heard that, it was like, that's someone we're interested in talking to. We want to be a growing, thriving church with tons and tons of pocket of community and life together. And so we're going to try to continue to take steps in that tradition that we have here at Covenant. We've got new Sunday school classes starting. We've got retreats that are coming up in the winter and in the spring that people can go on and spend intentional time together uh, just to get to know each other and do life together. We've got our first round of small groups in quite some time. They're gonna be starting in February. Sign-ups are gonna be starting in the next few weeks. You're gonna hear about this. It's ways for you to do life together. Because being internally strong does not mean you're some spiritual superhero. It means that you've got people in your brokenness that are walking with you in their brokenness and together you become something stronger in our life together. Who are you doing life with? Who's praying for you? Who are you walking with? It's not enough to be here for an hour on Sunday checking the box of religious attendance. As great as we try to make these services are, you've got to find ways to be growing in community and shaping your calendar and shaping your time to be doing this. It will change your life. And we are gonna do everything we can between now and next year for there to not just be more talk about this, but for things to practically be different where there are all kinds of on-ramps onto Life Together community, but you've got to get involved. You've got to get prepared. You've got to sign up. We've got to be internally strong and know who we're doing life with and sh- commit ourselves to sharing with those people, really sharing the journey. But as good as that is, and it's a great thing when you're doing life together with people, that in and of itself is not enough. We're called to be internally strong in order to be externally focused. It's not just for us to come and have spiritual navel gazing and just sort of think think that we're okay here and the rest of the world's just not, you know, it's kind of doing its own thing. We are called to, in our life together, to lower the walls of this church so that Austin is different because we're here. And we have traditions of that here. We have traditions of giving. We have traditions of using this building and just giving it away to the neighborhood and community in all different kinds of ways. We have ways of giving abroad, we have ways of giving to ministries here locally, and we want to continue to lean into and do that more and more. We're going to have a conversation, and I want you to know about this because it's important. We're going to be having a conversation in the early weeks of November around the, around the question of and issues of race and faith. It's an issue that the church has largely stayed silent on, and it would be easy for us to stay silent on it as well. But this issue is bubbling below the surface of society. It is bubbling below the surface. And we as the church can't run and hide from it or just hope that it goes away. That we need to come together. We're going to do so with James Lee, who some of you know, some of you may not. James used to be on staff here. He's a a pastor in East Austin. He's an African-American pastor. He's going to be with us at times. We're going to do a pulpit exchange. He's going to be preaching here on November 15th. We're going to be leaning into this issue. And not as Republicans, not as Democrats, not as progressives, not as conservatives, not as as white people, not as black people or people of color. We are going to have this conversation as followers of Jesus. What is God's vision for society? What is God's vision for our cities? What is God's vision for our world? And how does racism and justice and reconciliation propel us forward to build and work for a different day? We are not going to be scared of that conversation. Because the God who has brought us to this point has a vision that you and I need to, to, to be clear about and to start living out. And maybe most exciting to me, and I want you to know about this because it's in early stages of conversation, is that we are talking about being a part of rethinking what it means to be missional in the 21st century. Missions used to mean we just like organize mission trips to send people out. We're now the mission field. There are, there are global Christians who are coming to the United States and coming to the Presbyterian church going, you all need help. And we do. With just the declining numbers, we absolutely do. We're the mission field. The mission field is your neighborhood, it's your school, it's your, it's your family, it's, 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 it's uh, your place where you work. And your purpose in life, the reason God has us here, is to be a love letter from God to those whom you're going to encounter this week. What's happened in church... and. And this is, this is so basic that we've almost just forgotten what it means, is that church has been a place where we just have some really well-polished programs and people come. That's what it started to mean for generations in this country. Just so have a preacher that doesn't put people to sleep, have a good music program, have a time so that the good children's program, have it so that when it rains and it's like a monsoon outside, the buildings don't leak. Have that, and as long as you kind of got it, people will just sort of come. of people in Austin are not doing it. That day is gone. It's not going away. It is gone. I don't interact with non-Christians. I'm here too much of the time. I'm at covenant too much of the time. The action is not what's happening in these walls. The action is out there. And so we as the church have got to find ways to move back to what the New Testament says church is, which is not a place where we have polished programs that you get to come and consume and then you leave going, did you like the sermon? I don't know, I liked the one last week. What do you think of the music? Well, I like it. You know, it's, it's not that. This is a place where we come, we do life together, we do community, we're shaped and formed and molded, but the job as the church is to send you out to send you out going, this is my call, these are my gifts, this is my purpose, this is how the city of Austin is going to be different because I have been placed here by God. To stand for the things of the kingdom, to stand for things that are bigger than myself, to stand for things like love and justice and reconciliation and peace. These are the things that God has placed us here to witness to seven days a week. And so we're talking about how we can design some things differently so that we are a sending and equipping agency rather than a receptacle for people to come to and, feel, and ask the question, do I, do I feel fed? It's a reorientation of what it means to be the church and we are going to step into this. Friends, this is an exciting day. There are so many churches and pastors that wish they were around 40 years ago. I have so many friends who are like, God, I just wish it was 40 years ago. It was so much easier then. People just sort of came to church. I'm so glad we're not. I'm so glad we're here today. I'm so glad we're at this time. It is such a fascinating time and place to be following Jesus. And it would be easy for us to be like Saul. It would be easy for us just to build walls around ourselves and make ourselves feel secure. It would be easy for us to look at the 90% of churches that are in decline and go, well, you know, we're, we got something going on this, right? So good for us, and we feel really good about ourselves and just sort of pat ourselves on the back. That would be the anxiety-produced lifestyle. We choose adventure. We choose to believe that God has something wonderful and meaningful and purposeful for us to do, not just yesterday, but tomorrow. And that's the vision that we're asking for you to be a participant in, to step forward boldly as we see the great things that will come because our God goes before us. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with each and every one of you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be like Saul, not to be uh, locked in protecting and making sure that everything's solid that we have and hoarding it together and having a very small view of you and a small view of life, we pray we would become the leaders and the people that we see Saul become, people who are willing to step out in faith, people who are willing to move into uncertainty, people who are willing to believe that you will show up, people who are willing to believe that as good as things are now, tomorrow will be something that will bring a whole new day of purpose and life abundant. We pray for this vision. We pray for the wisdom to know how to step into it and the courage to do so, to march forward boldly as your people. And we look forward to whatever it is that you have in store. We pray for this and trust in this calling upon this community, this day and always. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.